This is the Clinical Takeaway podcast from HealthEd, where we interview leading medical experts on important topics that can positively change the way you practice. Here's your host, GP and medical educator, Dr. David Lim. HealthEd's face-to-face seminars are starting up again in 2022. And we hope that you will be able to join us for a day of high quality learning with a lineup of great speakers and important topics in women's and children's health. I'll be chairing a number of these events and I look forward to seeing you there. Register at healthad.com.au. Garth Kendall poses the question, is our society too focused on women and children's health? And he looks at the issues behind why men are less engaged in seeking health care and what we may do about it. Dr. Kendall, tell us about yourself. I'm getting on a little bit now. I'm in my early 60s, so I've had quite a career over a number of years. I guess uh, I've got a background in nursing and psychology and epidemiology and public health. Uh, I think it might interest your readers to know that about 30 years ago, I uh, got a job in Perth working at the Telethon Kids Institute with uh, somebody you might've heard of, uh, Professor Fiona Stanley. She's very well known here in Western Australia. Uh, Fiona started the Kids Institute and I was employed by Fiona and her colleagues to manage what has become one of the largest studies of children's health and development in the world. It's called the West Australian Pregnancy Cohort Study, the RAIN study, which is ongoing at the moment. So I managed the study um, for a number of years um, and then did my own PhD. I did a postdoc at the Institute and got very involved in the study and follow-ups of 13 and 17 years. And I guess worked with the chap Steve Zerbrick, uh, Professor Steve Zerbrick, who's a developmental psychologist. So I developed um, an academic interest in children's health and development. And my focus is on uh, largely on parents and how parents um, support their children and, and in turn how society can best support parents to care for their children. So that's that's my background and I've been, I'm at Curtin University now and I'm still involved um, with the RAIN study and uh, that type of research. Uh, thank you very much for that introduction. Now, we have an interesting topic today. It's engaging fathers in healthcare. My first question is very simple. Why are we even talking about this issue? Largely because of technological changes that have given rise to social changes, um, certainly in my lifetime. It's important to note I go back, you know, 60 years. So, you know, things have changed so remarkably in that period of time. I guess it, it's just unfathomable the, the changes that we've experienced, um, you know, global travel, I guess the, the obvious ones um, are computer technology, IT, the internet. We've moved from you know, post-industrial society into very much a technological IT society. And this has had uh, very profound implications on people's social lives. So there are technologies, even medical technologies. And I, I think of the contraceptive pill, you know, in the 1950s, you know, it became popularized. I, I think that is probably the, the number one technology that has 
changed our lives in the sense that it, it allowed women to control their fertility. It gave them more choices in terms of education and then employment, being able to control their size of the family, et cetera, et cetera. So there are a whole raft of social changes that have occurred in the last 50 years. And of course, uh, the changes um, have impacted on women, but of course they've impacted on men and families as well. So whereas when I was a child, you know, my father went to work, my mother stayed home and looked after the, the kids. That was the traditional sort of pattern in countries like Australia, wealthy countries in the world. Now we find we have two parents, both often working full-time now to support their um, children. It's easy to think that people are doing this um, simply just to have more of everything, et cetera, et cetera. But I would argue that that's not the case. Um, in fact, these changes are more or less imposed on people and it's necessary for families to you know, have, this, um, have these incomes now just to pay their mortgages and to be able to buy the necessities of life. So I think there are structural issues that very much change the way we live and it involves uh, families and it certainly is starting to involve parenting and uh, it involves men as fathers. Take that a little bit further for me, Garth. Uh, now that we understand how changes in society and roles have impacted parenting, um, both for mothers and fathers, how does that now extend into this idea of trying to engage fathers in healthcare? I guess it suggests that fathers are disengaged. Yes, well, um, there's certainly um, a significant amount of evidence in, in countries like Australia and all around the world that would suggest that fathers and men generally are not, certainly not as engaged in healthcare um, as women are. I guess it's it's understandable when we're thinking of fathers in, in particular because of the way, uh, as we've just said, there's been a, an historical progression over time. It's, it's traditionally, it's women and in many societies, and it continues to be women who care for children. And of course, caring for children, being the primary caregivers, they've taken responsibility for the health of their children. And I would suggest probably the health of the family as a whole. So it's something that many men and um, many social contexts and would be able to just uh, leave to the female folk. But of course, as times are changing, women themselves are very, very busy working often full-time in the workforce. It's only starting to happen now that more men are starting to take more responsibility in the home, caring for their children, even young children. And uh, hopefully we, we might be able to say that men are actually starting to engage more in the sort of housework activities that women have traditionally done in the home. You're suggesting to me that there is also now a gradual change in, in, in roles with men uh, taking on more of the duties. But I guess a question to ask is, was there actually a reluctance uh, in, for men to face, if you like, potential health issues in children in the first place? Was it just a societal role? What were the forces that kept men there? And what will be the forces that will take us forward? This is uh, obviously the complex issues that we're talking about, and they are important issues for society generally um, moving forward. So, you know, I can't <laughs> promise you'd have all the answers. I would say, again, um, you know, I've mentioned this idea of social forces um, impinging on people and, and, and therefore leading to a change in their behaviour over time. I think we have to understand that the changes that have, have happened, particularly over the last 50 years, 
um, generally they've created a great deal of uh, stress mm -hmm. for people generally, anxiety, stress. This, this is fairly typical. You know, any change that happens and certainly rapid change that disrupts people's lives and the way that things have traditionally been creates stress for people. So I think we live in a society now um, where this is a significant issue. And I'm saying this because I think the, the stress that many people experience then is translated into their lifestyles. And we can see this probably with the epidemic of we have in countries like Australia of overweight and obesity. We have large numbers of people consuming you know, large quantities of alcohol, some substances, you know, people not feeling that they want to get out and do exercise or to participate in healthy lifestyles. This is part of our society. This is because people are experiencing a great deal of tension, probably at work, work-life balance and these sorts of issues. We, we live in what we call an obesogenic society in the sense that there are fast food shops on, you know, in every suburb, you know, in every shopping center and very, people have very easy access to this. So I think as far as men are concerned, we have to understand that men generally are experiencing um, a great deal of stress. Like they are very, many men report that they are very, very busy at work and they do not have, they simply do not have time you know, to engage with their children. They say that they don't have time to visit a GP. You know, they, it certainly doesn't work, you know, to make an appointment at four o'clock, you know, in the afternoon or 10 o'clock in the morning or something like this. Men are very, very busy. They're feeling very stressed. I guess it's a stress for them in itself in the sense that they're being asked to do more around the house. You know, there's more of an expectation in the, in the media generally, perhaps from their partners, they're, they're expected now to do more for their children, do more around the house. This just adds more and more pressure. I guess it's very, very difficult for men. I'm also thinking health screening is clearly so important in modern society. You know, we have access to a whole range of biomarkers and we, we know that we can implement uh, medications and um, various lifestyle changes if people have that sort of screening. And we know that men do not avail themselves of that screening, you know, certainly, you know, cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, prostate cancer, skin cancer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have any evidence of this, but I suspect that for many men, there may be some underlying fear of the outcome of those tests as well. I do think men, uh, traditionally, we've seen ourselves as being the providers, the, we're, you know, we're supposed to be strong, we're supposed to be the macho sort of characters who are leading the family and being strong and so yes I do as I said I don't have the evidence for that there probably is um, some evidence in psychology but I would suspect many men do fear the consequences of visiting their GP and having those screening tests done as well. What I'm hearing from you is that um, it seems as if society had a changing roles and the fact that families now require both parents to be working um, is putting a, if you like, um, a role onto men who perceive themselves to be under stress, uh, filled with anxiety and work-life and work -life balance, and at the same time now expected to take a role that they really had not been trained much to do. How is that actually translating to what you see in reality? Well, as you say, men, men haven't been trained 
for this role. And certainly uh, we're in a situation today and certainly in Australia where um, we would say that um, the services that we provide around pregnancy, birth, and certainly um, children's early lives, these services are very much targeted at, uh, at women. Um, it's one of the areas that I'm um, most involved in at a national level. We call this father-inclusive practice. So we, we know that uh, the men, and I guess younger men, they're often better educated men. They want, they've made a decision. They, they understand what's happening, these changes. They want to become more involved um, as fathers and they want to start during pregnancy. They want to be engaged around the birth and the care of their children. When many men try to you know, get involved in this process, they find, they find that uh, yeah, the, the services that are available do not adequately cater for men. I mean, I'll just give you an example here in Perth and Western Australia. In 2022, we still have a women and children's health service. You know, that's the broad perception. I mean, we talk about these changes. Language is important. You know, men don't feel comfortable going to a women and children's health uh, service. You know, it would be so easy to change the name. We could call it a family health service or a you know, family and child health service. But even in 2022, you know, we, we haven't taken simple measures mm. like that. But there are many other issues with regard to service um, delivery. So I'm not sure if you're aware, but Healthy Mail is a Commonwealth government funded organization. They did a nationwide uh, scoping study um, a couple of years ago. The results were published about a year ago. The the project was is called Plus Paternal, and it's ongoing. Um, so there are a group of, um, I suppose, academics, health professionals, and men who are fathers themselves, people who are developing um, interventions and support groups for fathers and men who meet regularly on a national basis to try and move this uh, move this issue sort of forward in Australia. One of the problems, Garth, is that whenever we talk about men's health, it, it's terribly interesting how many doctors immediately, immediately think of andrology, you know, male hormones and uh, sexual <laughs> dysfunction. And, and yet what you're really saying is, wait a minute, guys, actually men's health is about a very interesting subspecies of the human species in the sense that they seem to have a particular role, looking strong, being the supporter, if you like, the provider, but at the same time, not dealing very well with the stresses of their roles, probably expecting too much of themselves, now being given new roles that they're probably not that comfortable in. And it just seems to me that rather than actually opening up men to seek help readily, could we be actually putting more barriers? I don't know that we're putting up more barriers, David. I guess going back to what I've said in our discussion all the way through, I think there are structural issues. There are factors that are beyond the control of health professionals and you know any individuals in society that uh, move us forward. You know, in a sense, as human beings, we're we're continually playing catch up. We're we're constantly seeking to adapt to an ever-changing environment. It just happens that the environment we experience, we're experiencing in our lifetimes, is changing at, a, at an unprecedented rate. Mm. And it's very, very difficult for people to keep up. I don't think there's any point whatsoever in saying, you know, this is what we 
could have done. This is, you know, um, you know, are we putting more pressure on? Are we creating more barriers? I, I don't see this be the case. I think all of us, whatever our role, let's say we're talking about GPs, health professionals, I think um, many people, many GPs will be thinking about this and thinking about strategies that we can implement to you know, resolve the sort of issues that we, we have. You know, I don't think we're not, we're not creating the barriers. I think we, we need to be actively engaged thinking about how we can, how we can break them down. Let's see if we can actively find these sorts of barriers and actively break them down so that GPs can identify them and help the patients, if you like, uh, deal with it. Absolutely. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, most of the research work that I'm involved in, and it is now focused on men and fathering, we talk about going out to people and uh, asking people, um, let's say the men themselves and their partners, and we would want to talk to GPs and other health professionals. We'd want to we'd want to find out from these people how they see the world. Mm-hmm. We call this a formative evaluation. We want to know, you know, for the men themselves. Let's ask them, you know, what are the barriers for them? You know, maybe it's the timing of the service of delivery. You know, what are the issues for partners? What are the issues for GPs? What are the issues for other health professionals? We we need to do start with that sort of formative evaluation. Um, and then um, use our resources to develop, um, I'll call them uh, interventions, programs that GPs can participate in themselves in the development of programs, um, new ways of, let's say, engaging fathers. It could be be just a protocol that would say to a GP when a woman comes in for, because she is pregnant and she's asking for antenatal care, et cetera, et cetera, we might, we might have a protocol where the GP gives that woman information to take home to her partner, maybe her husband. I have a student, a PhD student. She's actually a GP in Indonesia. She's just starting her GP, uh, sorry, just starting her PhD. And her, in her project, she wants to develop an application that has um, useful, helpful information for fathers and we're thinking that the way to, to promote this will be through GPs. When a woman comes in, um, they come in a bit later than what they do in Australia for their, for their sort of uh, pregnancy care um, before the birth of the child. This would be a wonderful opportunity for a GP um, through uh, the woman to try and engage the, the, um, the woman's partner, the father, and give him useful information. And because technology is clearly... You know, to the fore, um, we're thinking, you know, we can perhaps use a, um, in a phone application for something like that. Well, that's a very interesting start, Garth. Um, so that's one segue into encouraging men to, if you like, learn more and being involved. That's giving them education and resources at a particular time of their lives, in this case, being a new father. Could you expand that any further, say, for a man who's going through, uh, say, a traumatic experience or a serious mental health crisis or a financial breakdown or a marital breakdown? How do you reach out to men during these crucial moments? I haven't had a great deal of success, but I have been collaborating with a labour market economist for a number of years, and I do have some uh, connections in industry. So I personally am very interested and uh, supportive of 
um, different ways of accessing men and engaging with men more generally. And in that regard, uh, I think there's a great deal that we could we could do to reach out to men actually in their workplaces, mm-hmm. where where they this would be a major strategy. It would require all government approach and funding, but um, I would very much like to see a GP GP clinics in uh, large workplaces. Certainly in Western Australia, you know, we've got we've got some big mining companies and resource companies, et cetera, et cetera. And same in the Eastern States. I mean, whether they're insurance companies or whatever, they are, you know, we we could employ GPs and have clinics in these areas. For uh, smaller businesses, we could have health centres in industrial areas where men are and Clearly, these these centres would need to be, you know, open longer hours during the day, perhaps in the weekends. I think we could do a great deal more if we could take ourselves to where men are. I think we would we would find that we would be able to get them on board. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like both location and time um, constraints uh, are two major issues. What else do we need to consider if we want to make ourselves if you like, uh, more uh, open or more accessible to men. You've mentioned mental health. You know, I'm familiar with the research. Um, I've reviewed it recently. It's very clear that um, there are differences between men and women in, in terms of how they communicate, particularly about their emotional states. I've, I'm engaged in research. We, we survey both men and women. They were partners and families. A woman was 18 weeks pregnant. Women completed you know, a series of instruments about anxiety, depression, perceived stress, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, when we analyze this data for the women, we find, yes, there are, as we would expect, there are a proportion of women who are uh, reporting that they experience problems. The same instruments completed by the women's partners come back. And as far as the men are concerned, there are no problems at all. Now, it's just, <laughs> it's just, you know, that's just one, it's just one example. but. I know, as I said, this is this is very evident in any research that is done that men, there's something different about men and women. Men seem to be very, very reluctant to um, share their their thoughts and feelings. I mean, it's one of the reasons why when uh, we are thinking about developing interventions, we want to support men. We often think about peer-led interventions. I'm not sure if you're aware, the Fathering Project in Australia has a peer led group for the fathers of primary school age children. Men probably find it very difficult to speak to GPs, other health professionals, particularly about their feelings. So how do we address that? Clearly, it's a big, it's a big issue. And I mean, I haven't got all of the answers for you there. You know, I'm sure you, your audience, um, people have experience working general practice. They, they will have a lot of experience themselves and they will know, you know what it is like trying to get a, you know, a man to talk about what is really bothering him. Absolutely. I, I, I had a bit of a laugh about your study only because I actually know that in reality that it's probably true that, uh, if you like, our own, as men, our own understanding of our own issues um, may not reflect some of the realities. So I, I'm just glad we spoke about this. I, I don't know that I, as a GP, have any answers. I was hoping to that you had some for me, uh, but it is a tricky area. 
it's a very um, tricky area. I suspect given that there's a social gradient you will be familiar with in many health outcomes, including mental health problems, I suspect that uh, the men who are most resistant and reluctant are those who are in particular occupational groups. They have a particular level of education. I One suggestion is that um, maybe it would be possible to give GPs, other health professionals, training in just in, in using more colloquial language. I'm just thinking, you know, uh, the men's the men's health issue, you know, you know, mentioned previously. There are so many technical terms that you know medical doctors are used to using. You know, parts of the anatomy and et cetera, et cetera. And I know, you know, I've been sort of schooled to think that oh, you know, we must we must somehow educate people to use the anatomically correct terms, and then we must use medical terms, and we must sort of share this language with you know, people and get them to understand these specific terms. But my, my feeling is that that is not appropriate. In fact, we need to turn that around rather than medical doctors trying to impose this particular language and sort of view of the world in terms of um, how they name things and explain things. Maybe there's a lot we could do for medical doctors to, to uh, use the language of the common of the common people you know the ordinary people to be able to better discuss with them it may you know man comes in and he's used to using particular language it might put him at ease if the gp is able to sort of share it more in this colloquial language and use the language he's used to it's just a it's just one suggestion it's an important one uh, it, it allows us a, a, if you like a common basis to to advance from Garth, this is actually a very large area uh, because we're touching uh, aspects that we understand have significant sociological drive and also a huge transition and change at the moment that men are experiencing. I, I just wonder as we head towards the end of this podcast interview, whether or not you'd like to just touch on some of the key points and maybe uh, give uh, your GP listeners, if you like, a, some of your key messages. I guess from from my point of view, most generally in the field that I work in, I've mentioned a number of times, I think we have to understand that what we experience as a society and therefore and it's translated into individual behaviour is largely a result of structural factors that are beyond our control. So in that sense, I, I think it's not helpful at all to blame people, you know, your patients, certainly your colleagues or anyone specifically you know for the the situation we find ourselves in it's not it's not helpful at all we need to think about how we can um, support families better support families and therefore increasingly um, give attention to and be um, supportive of men when we're doing that we need to uh, take what we call a strength-based approach so we know broadly nobody wants to be told what they're doing wrong we have to find ways of communicating with people positively, drawing on the strengths of you know, their situation to help them to find solutions and to be able to adapt and to be able to move forward. So I think I said, we have to understand the structure, structural factors that are putting us in this situation. We, we, when we're working with people, families, we have to take a strength-based approach. I think that the last thing is that I think 
it is time that, or there are two points, health professionals um, adapted more to uh, the needs of men in terms of where they're located, um, the times at which their services are you know, available for men. That would be, that's critically important. We've, we've talked about that perhaps in the workplace ways. And the last thing, I guess, is the point we've just been making that um, potentially GPs maybe could modify their approach and think very, very carefully about the interpersonal communication and the way that they relate to their male patients such that they would be able to form a trusting relationship with you know, men to be able to um, help them to move forward. That's a beautiful summary and a very important message for us all, Garth. I, I guess I, I think we need to be optimistic in the sense that um, we have resources, we have a wonderful healthcare system, we have a wonderful group of people, GPs, many other health professionals, specialists and nurses, allied health people, midwives. We have a wonderful group of very caring people who really do want to, uh, we know they really do want to make a difference in people's lives by supporting them appropriately. So I think we've got to be very, very positive and think that there's a challenge ahead of us, but I'm very confident that uh, if we can talk about this, if we can collaborate and work together, that we'll be able to find the solutions to these problems. We can innovate and, and essentially be social entrepreneurs and come up with solutions to these problems and start to implement them in Australia and they can be implemented around the world. I mentioned Indonesia, something that needs to happen around the world. I think we can do this and over the next few years. So I'm, I'm very, very optimistic that we will be able to adapt and move forward. Garth, it is a very big and important note to end on uh, that your optimism really extends not just to men in Australia, but worldwide. And that it is in fact a time for us to work together to achieve that. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very, very fortunate in my line of work. I have I've mentioned Indonesia. I have another project in Malawi and sub-Saharan Africa. I'm actually uh, working with medical doctors, um, nurse-led telephone counselling service for women who have had breast cancer surgery in India. You know, we have a lot of support there. So I'm, that's just my sort of space in the world. I, I think you know, we have such resources here in Australia that not only would we be able to transform our own world, but we would also be able to use our resources and uh, knowledge and understanding to support people globally such that we can um, essentially transform the world. What an important mission. And thank you for sharing it with us, Garth. Okay, then you're very welcome, David. And have a very good day. You too. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for the next webcast where you can always catch a high quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. 
log into your account on the RACGP website, go to the CPD section and click on self-claim. 